I want to say thank you to all of you just for your love, uh, support you've given me, my family over the last 17 years. I cannot in just a minute or two fully express all the love that I have for you and for this congregation and for my friends that are also here from the community this morning. 17 years is a long time and we've shared a lot of life together. And I tell you what I'm going to remember, absolutely remember the most and most fondly is not what we've done with the building or the property or the ministries that we started or the fun things we've had or the great worship services. It's simply all those little conversations we've had over the years where we've had a private moment to sit down and talk about your life, your faith, what's happening in your life and what God's doing in your life, those really tender moments. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for inviting me into those personal, personal moments with you. Will you pray with me now? Lord, I want to thank you for this awesome church. You planted this church here in 1836, and we've been doing your work in the world for 180-something years. And what a blessing it is at this present moment to say that we are part of Middletown Christian Church. That you have called us at this time in this place to serve you. And this morning, as I think about all those years between 1836 and now, as I think about the last 17 years, I just want to say right now to you, God, I want to say praise you, thank you, you're a good and holy God, you have been so faithful to us. You have given us dreams and visions, and you have helped us succeed in things we never dreamed possible, and you have lifted us up when we were discouraged and when we were down. And for more than 17 years, you have put a word on my lips to speak to your people, and for 17 years... You have been our God and our Savior. Today, God, I want to celebrate our past, give you thanks for this present moment, and thank you for what lies ahead for this amazing congregation. We know that even at this moment, you're preparing us for what is next, for what is next and what you dream for us. And because of you, we know our future is unlimited. For that, we give you thanks. So I pray right now, God, as I preach one more time, that you will light me up from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, and that I will go out on this last Sunday filled with your presence and with the fire of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All God's people did say, will you stand for the reading of the word? John chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Now you may not realize this uh, because you were not counting, but I was. Of all the stories that I've preached on in the Bible over 17 years, I've preached on this story more than any other story other than Easter or the Christmas story. This story, I've either referenced it in a sermon or preached it multiple times. It's an important story. It's one of only two miracles recorded in the New Testament, recorded in all four Gospels. The resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's such an important story that it's recorded twice in some of the Gospels. Here's the word. Uh, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. 
But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass so that they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to his disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. This is the reading of God's word, and God's people did say, you may be seated. Our problem, our problem, my problem, your problem, I think for most people in this room is the same thing. It's a lack of confidence. Let me, let me say it one more time. The thing that is hindering you, keeping you from the future that God has in mind from you, is a lack of confidence. It's not overconfidence. We may have a struggle with pride, but I think our biggest struggle is that we have been taught our whole life that I am not enough. I am not enough. You are not enough. As a result, when you find yourself facing some sort of mountain that you have to get over, an obstacle you have to climb that stands between you and what you want for your life, you immediately do what most people do. You begin to do an inventory of what you don't have and why you can't get over the mountain. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. I'm too weak. I don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. I've never been over this mountain before. I can't get over. It's a lack of confidence. It's the same thing when a door is open to you. Some door is open. You're standing there in your life and all of a sudden this opportunity presents itself to you and the door opens, and you stand there in front of the door, and you think, do I go through this door? But you don't. You hesitate. Because you think to yourself, well, what if I fail? Because I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough. And so you stand there so long that the door eventually just closes, and the opportunity passes you, and you never seize the moment. For some others of you, it may be that you, were, you, you just had this sense that you needed to do something new in your life. What you're doing in your life right now is not working for you, and you sense you need to take some new step into some new venture, some new, some new adventure, 
And everybody around you is saying, you need to do that, but you don't do it. Why? Because you focus on what you're lacking and what you don't have. Or when you see an opportunity to help, you don't help because you think, what do I have to offer to help? You see, our problem is not overconfidence. It's a lack of confidence. Let me share with you this morning that if you find yourself ever sitting in a church where you hear someone pointing out to you what you're lacking as opposed to what you have, maybe you're in the wrong church. Because the gospel is a gospel of enough, not a gospel of lack. Everywhere in the world you go, you're told what you can't do, who you are not, what you're lacking, what you're missing, who you are not. That is not the gospel. The gospel from cover to cover is a gospel that says you are enough. You do have enough. All you need is a little faith. All you need is a little hope. All you need is a little gift. All you need is a little effort. All you need is a little time. And let me say to someone in this room right now, I know that there are people in this room this morning who are struggling in their marriages. And one of the big reasons why you're struggling in your marriage is because you're focusing on what you're lacking in your marriage as opposed to what you have in your marriage. Let me tell you, the number one way that you can save your marriage is to focus on a little, the little that you have in your marriage. Because in a marriage that's struggling, a little bit of love will go a long way to heal what's lacking. The problem with a lot of our relationships and the reason that we struggle in our relationships is because we focus on what is broken and what is lacking as opposed to focusing on what we share together. It's true of where we work. It's true of our partners. It's true of our church. The gospel is a gospel of enough. You see, this morning, I wanted to preach one more time about who Jesus is. Because he is the Savior of enough. Jesus is enough. That was his message. He came to tell you that you are enough. He came to tell you that you belong to him. He came to tell you that your life matters. And if you have any doubts about that, I want you to take a moment and look at that crowd that was standing on the seashore as Jesus got in the boat to leave them behind. It says that Jesus and his disciples were exhausted, worn out. Uh, they had just discovered that John the Baptist had been murdered, and they were grieving and were worried and concerned. They had just been teaching nonstop for several days. Everywhere they went, they were big crowds. Jesus' popularity was soaring. From sunup to sundown and beyond, late in the night, he was touching the sick and healing the sick and feeding the hungry. So he looked at his disciples and he says to them, let's get away from the crowds for a moment and go to the other side of the lake. Now they were at the top side on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they get in the boat to go to the other side to get some rest. Now this is how I imagine in my mind, the disciples are looking ahead in the boat and they're sailing ahead in the boat, but Jesus is looking behind, looking back. And what does he see? This crowd of thousands of people. And you know what they do? Let me share this with my friends in the running community. They do a half marathon sprint around the top of the lake. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus is going across the lake. He looks back and he sees a crowd of old men, young men, young women, older women, children, sick people being pushed on carts, people being carried on mats, all kinds of people, blind people. 
they begin, it's a half marathon to the other side of the lake, and they're so quick to get there, when Jesus gets out of the boat, they're standing there with their hands like this, on their hips, because they beat Jesus to the other side of the lake. Why? Because they were hungry. Why? Because they were empty. Why? Because when they looked in Jesus, they saw hope they didn't see anywhere else in the world. The same things that they were hungry for, we're hungry for. We're hungry for purpose. We're hungry for direction. We're hungry for meaning. We're hungry for love. We're all hungry for the same things. And I love Jesus in this moment. At this very moment, what does Jesus do? He doesn't do what we would do. Now, if I were one of Jesus' disciples, I would have arranged a limo to pick Jesus up. Or one of those big stretch limos where we could all get in the side and avoid the crowds. I would have made sure that he had some handlers. I would have hired security. We would have avoided the crowds and come back later. But what I love about Jesus is he had no handlers. Even though he was exhausted and tired, it says in Luke's gospel that he looked out at this hungry crowd and he did three things. He welcomed them. It said he had compassion on them. You know what the word compassion means? My David Emery definition is, is compassion is when you feel something so deep in your guts that you feel the pain that another person feels that you have to do something even if it's against your own best interest. Jesus feels compassion for them. He looks in their faces and he sees them. I had a person send me a note this week, a text message that said, David, I wanted to tell you this before you leave, but I'm just one of 800 people. And I wrote back and said, no, you're not. You're one person that's important to me. When he looked at that crowd, he didn't just see one in 800 people. Every person was important to him. Every person matters. So he welcomed them. He had compassion for them. He taught them. Taught them the principles of the kingdom. And then when it was time and the day was late, he fed them. He took the little that the disciples had, the bread and the fish, he took the little that they had, and he sat them down on the green grass, and he filled them full with bread. That's who Jesus is. Jesus will never turn you away empty. Jesus is never tired for you and for your struggle. Jesus will never be too exhausted to take your hand. Jesus will always be there for you. And this is the opportunity that we all have. He invites us all to, in humility, sit down in the grass and to let Him feed us. To feed our souls, to feed our hearts. That's what we do here every Sunday. Every week, on a weekend, we come into this place and we sit here and we open our hearts and we take his bread and we let him feed our souls. Because he is enough, you are enough. Don't ever let the world tell you that you are not enough. Because the one voice that matters in this world says that you are. You are enough. Now here's where the story gets really interesting. This is the part where I get really excited. 
he gives us the invitation to participate. I love this part of the story. The disciples, I imagine, walk up to Jesus. He's been teaching all day, and maybe Peter, James, or John puts his arm around Jesus and said, Jesus, we know you're going to go on all day. We're tired. Please send these folks to Wendy's to get their own food. Arby's is about three blocks from here. We can't handle the crowd. Can you just send them away? We've been at this all day. And imagine Jesus pauses and then looks at him and says, you give them something to eat. Let me be really clear, church. The church does not exist for ourselves. We are not a country club. We're not put in this earth to take care of ourselves. And we worry about a bunch of silly crap that doesn't really mean anything. I said crap. I'm sorry. It's my last sentence. Say what I want. Send me packing. Oh. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like we worry about stuff that doesn't matter. I'm not going to name the stuff that doesn't matter. You know it doesn't matter because we spend too much time talking about it. You know what matters? We've been called to feed people, to bless people, to be about people. I'm not going to remember a lot about the building or any of those kinds of things. You know, I don't remember. I remember you. It's people. He says, give them something to eat. He, we worry about stuff that doesn't matter when we got people in our world that are starving and dying and hungry and struggling and sick and all kinds of things. We should be concerned about those things and get our minds on bigger things. So he looks at the church. He looks at the, it says, give them something to eat. But because we have a mind that says, I'm not enough, because we believe a gospel of lack, what do we say? We do what the disciples say. We push the problem away and we say, well, we can't. We don't have enough. And in Jesus is that one voice in the world that says, well, what do you have? Go and see. That's the word to you. Whenever you face a struggle or a problem or a difficulty or a mountain or an open door and you hear that negative voice in your head, don't believe it. Don't believe the lie. Instead, hear the voice of Jesus who speaks to your heart and says, go and see what you have. A little love is enough. A little hope is enough. A little time is enough. A little effort is enough. I used to always tell my son Alex, Effort will always exceed talent. If you just keep trying, effort will exceed talent. A little effort is enough. What do you have? And so the disciples say, well, we've got Jesus. We've got uh, two fish and, and five loaves of bread. And he says, well, bring it to me. And then I love this part of the story. I've never noticed this before. What happens? Before the miracle ever happens, he tells the disciples to get busy organizing for the miracle. He basically says, before you see what I'm going to do, I'm expecting you to move and to act on what you have. Catch that? Don't wait until the miracle of multiplication occurs. Just start acting on what you have and see what happens. Just start moving. Take what you have and just start moving. And look what he does. He says, go and tell them to sit down. They're probably going, this is going to go great. We're going to get them seated in rows of 50 and 100, and we're going to run out of bread in the first row. But they do it anyway. And then 
imagine their face as they go to get bread, take it to this row, go back to expect nothing. It's just more, and it's always there. It's endless. Because God's love is abundant and endless. They just keep going back for more and more and more. That's the gospel. The one thing I wanted to say to the church this morning, the one final word I wanted to give to you, is that Jesus is enough, and that you're enough, and that if you just offer the little that you have, God will bless it. Can I give you an example? So uh, Dolly spoke a moment ago about the house that was built. Do you know how that got built? Let me tell you. If we would have said, okay, we're going to build a house. It costs $55,000 to build this house for this refugee family. We didn't have $55,000. We could have said, well, we don't have enough to build a house for $55,000. So what did we do? We said, what do we have? Well, we've got $10,000. Well, we don't have enough volunteers to build a house. Uh, for a, so it takes a lot of volunteers. Well, we have a few volunteers. So we offered $10,000. We offered a few volunteers, and then guess what happened? First Christian Church offered $5,000. Uh, the Jewish community offered several thousand dollars. An Episcopal Church offered a few thousand dollars. Another church offered a few thousand dollars. The two mosques in town offered a few thousand dollars. Look at what happened because we offered the little that we have. In a world that's divided by religion and race, we had people from three major world religions, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, build a house for a refugee family because we did not ask, what do we lack? We said, what do we have? Let me end with this. As you think about this next time of transition, focus on what you have. Unify. And if you came here today to show appreciation for me, you want to know how to show appreciation for me? Be back next Sunday. Because that's what counts. This Sunday doesn't mean anything. It's the next Sunday that means everything. Focus on what you have. Well, I don't have anything else to say. I'm done. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Let me again say to you, just thank you for everything. I was ordained in 1987, and um, that was 33 years ago. And more than half of my ministry has been spent being your pastor. I could not be more grateful. I love you all.